You're listening to Comedy Central. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. I'm Trevor Noah. Today is Thursday, the 1st of October. That's right, people. We made it to October. Woo! One more month and we're all dead. And if you're starting to think about your Halloween costume for this year, just remember, it's 2020. So if you really want to scare people, you should try going as something truly terrifying, like someone who's about to sneeze. (gasps) Anyway, on tonight's show, we figure out how to control Donald Trump's debate outbursts, and we talk to the one and only Mariah Carey. So let's do this, people. Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. From Trevor's couch in New York City to your couch somewhere in the world, this is the Daily Social Distancing Show with Trevor Noah. Ears edition. Let's kick it off with Subway, the most popular place to eat after losing a custody battle. While America may love Subway, it looks like some other countries are having a hard time swallowing it. Subway, one of the most recognizable sandwich shops, was told it's not even serving bread. At least according to Ireland's Supreme Court, the Irish Independent reports that Subway's heated sandwiches, like the hot meatball sub, doesn't have bread because it's too sugary. The court battle has to do with a special tax in Ireland. It offers a zero tax rate for certain foods, like regular bread, if it meets certain requirements. Yo, are you being serious? According to Ireland's Supreme Court, Subway bread is not actually bread because it's too sugary. And I, for one, am willing to bet that Subway is very happy to have this be their big controversy. Yeah, they're probably like, yep, our bread is too sweet. That's the scandal you should think about when you think about Subway. Make it the top search result for Subway scandal. We deserve it. Sweet bread, that's our thing. To me, this ruling really just shows you that Ireland and America are dealing with very different issues right now. America's Supreme Court is on the brink of striking down healthcare and abortion rights, and Ireland's Supreme Court is like, oh, this bread, it tastes a wee bit sweet. Might have to look into it. it tastes a bit like sugar, like, did I mix up the flour with the sugar? Yeah, three cups of sugar as opposed to flour. I don't know about that. Moving on to some news from the animal kingdom. If you're bringing your kids to the zoo this weekend, you may need to cover their ears at the parrot exhibits. Well, some foul-mouthed parrots at a British zoo are in big trouble for swearing at people. Five African gray parrots were donated from separate owners to the Lincolnshire Wildlife Park within the same week. Well, the birds quarantined together, but staff said the parrots were soon swearing and cussing at each other, and then also at visitors who started cussing back. The zoo removed the parrots from public view. Nah, people, this is so unfair. Parrots just repeat what they hear. So if they're cursing, it's not their fault. It's the zookeeper's fault for letting them watch the presidential debate. And by the way, we hear the parrots cursing because they can learn English, but you realize other animals are cursing all the time too, right? I mean, they're all locked in prison. That's what a zoo is. And they didn't even commit any crimes. Every time you hear a lion roar, that's just another animal going, I want my lawyer. It's not murder. It's the circle of life. But here's what confuses me. Why is the zoo removing the parrots? Are you guys insane? This sounds like by far the best zoo you could ever go to. You know where I can see a bird that doesn't curse? Literally anywhere. And look, 
I get that you want to shield the children from it, so fine. Make an adults-only part of the zoo. You know, that's where the parrots can curse, monkeys can hump each other, and those dogs can gamble. In other news, do you guys remember President Obama? Yeah, the nice guy America was with before she got catfished? Well, for people who missed the 44th presidents of the United States, here's a way that you can keep a little piece of him with you at all times. Rare items that belong to Barack and Michelle Obama are going on the auction block. The former president's number 23 high school basketball jersey and the school's 1979 yearbook are expected to fetch, get this, up to $200,000. Also for sale, a vintage black cocktail dress that Michelle Obama wore to a charity fundraiser in 2010. This is believed to be the only gown of hers ever to be offered in an auction. It is expected to sell for up to $70,000. The separate auctions take place in December. The auction house says the Obamas did not put the items up for yeah. sale. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Does this not seem shady to anyone else? There's an auction of Obama memorabilia, but the Obamas were not involved? I mean, does Obama even know about this? Are they like, and the next item up for bidding? Barack Obama's wallet. And he's watching at home like, uh, what the hell? For real, man. I think it's pretty ballsy selling Obama's stuff without his permission. The man has droned people for less. You guys are taking chances. And some of the items don't even make sense. Like, why does anyone want Obama's old basketball jersey? He wasn't in the NBA. That's like paying thousands of dollars for LeBron's high school history test. That's not why he's famous. Although I will say this, having Obama's yearbook could be pretty cool, you know? It might be a nice change of pace to look through a public figure's old yearbook for fun instead of for evidence. But I guess this is life. People are willing to pay big money for this kind of stuff. And if a yearbook and some old clothes are gonna sell for $200,000, man, the Obamas should just, they should jump in. They should have a yard sale. They'd make a killing. Barack should just be out there in the yard like, uh, this USB cord. Uh, has been in the family since 2007. And I'm only asking $10,000 for it. Yeah, it works. You just gotta wiggle the thing. You gotta wiggle the thing and it starts charging. Sometimes it'll shock you, uh, but that's life. Let's move on to COVID-19, the virus that's harder to get rid of than a Facebook account. Every day, we're learning more and more about the virus and who is most at risk. And we all know about the elderly and people with health conditions, but now there's a new risk factor you probably hadn't thought of. Scientists say people who inherited genes from Neanderthal ancestors, ancestors rather, may be more susceptible to a severe case of COVID-19. European study published yesterday links a higher risk of hospitalization and respiratory failure to a cluster of genes associated with the Neanderthals. Those genes are found in about 16% of the European population. Half the population in South Asia and is now non-existent in Africa and East Asia. Researchers are not sure why the coronavirus is impacting these gene types and say more studies are necessary. Yo, 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 yo. That is crazy. People with Neanderthal genes are more likely to be affected by coronavirus? Honestly, guys, this is kind of embarrassing because now if you get COVID, it means your great, great, Great ancestor probably smashed a caveman. How could you, Nana? It was a different time back then. He had fire and I was cold. He asked me to come over for some cave art and chill. He was so sweet. And I don't know about you, but this was surprising for me. 
because I didn't know that Europeans still had Neanderthal genes. And by the way, this is great news for Africans because they have none. Yeah, right now there's some dude walking around Uganda like, oh, who's the savages now, eh? Muzungu, looking at you. But right now I know, a lot of you are probably wondering whether or not you have Neanderthal genes. And there's actually a pretty easy way to tell, right? If there's a guy behind you that looks like a monkey and a guy in front of you that looks like a human, then you, my friend, are a Neanderthal. It's just science. I don't make the rules. But while there's still a lot to learn about this disease, there are some things that scientists are fairly sure of right now. Wearing a mask helps. Washing your hands helps. And most importantly, do not spend a lot of time in unsanitary enclosed spaces with lots of other people. Unfortunately, there are still some people who really don't like listening to scientists. The White House has blocked a new order from the CDC to keep cruise ships docked until mid-February. The administration will instead allow the ships to sail after October 31st. The CDC says that there have been recent outbreaks of the virus on cruise ships overseas, showing that cruises continue to help spread the virus, even when ships sail at reduced passenger capacity. According to Axios, public health officials have privately complained that the thwarting of the CDC's cruise ship ban is politically motivated because the industry is a major economic presence in Florida, a key battleground state where the polls are statistically tied. Oh, hell no. We're doing cruises again? Yo, guys, this is one of the worst things you can do during a pandemic. Corona's gonna be rolling around that ship like Jay-Z in the big pimping video. That's why I let it love him. <laughs> it almost feels like Trump is actually trying to get people infected now. Cruises are legal again. And from now on, everyone has to cover their sneezes with another person's mouth. Now, I don't care what anybody says. This is clearly a politically motivated decision by Donald Trump. But there must be a safer way for him to win the support of Florida voters. Like, why not give the Medal of Honor to Pitbull or give tax credits to anyone with exposed ass cheeks? I don't even understand why anyone wants to go on a cruise during Corona. It's like boarding the Titanic knowing it's going to sink. The captain is like, I'm gonna steer this thing into an iceberg. And you're like, whatever, man, I just wanna meet Leonardo DiCaprio. But you know what? Maybe cruise fans are playing 5D chess. Yeah, because they know that Corona can't hurt you if the food poisoning from the seafood buffet kills you first. It doesn't make any sense for anybody living in America to get on a cruise ship right now, right? This country has a crazy high infection rate. We're all overeating, nobody is sleeping well, and we're trapped in our homes most of the day. This is a cruise, people. You're getting the experience for free. And finally, some political news. After the fiasco that was the first presidential debate, Americans everywhere spoke up to say, please, we cannot go through something like this ever again. And now the commission that runs the debates is taking action. The Presidential Debate Commission is promising some rule changes after Tuesday's face-off in Cleveland. This comes amid the fallout from the first meeting between President Trump and Joe Biden that was filled with insults and lots of interruptions. Those changes could include turning off the microphone of the candidate, not answering the question, and then giving the moderator the ability to mute microphones as needed. Okay, okay. Cutting off Trump's mic might be a good idea, but they shouldn't have told him about it in advance. Because knowing Trump, now he's just gonna bring his own mic and a portable speaker like those guys in the subway. This next question is for Joe Biden. Showtime, folks! It's showtime! Showtime! Now, I don't know if this is gonna work because even without a microphone, Trump can still find a way to be a distraction without talking. 
In 2016, you remember? He made those ridiculous faces, yeah? He lurked in the background like a T-Rex in a suit. And of course, who can forget his interpretive ribbon dancing? This man knows how to steal focus. If you ask me, they should leave his mic on the same way they shouldn't ban his Twitter account. Because I don't want anybody making Donald Trump seem more sane than he is. Let America see who Donald Trump is. Open the mic! So look, we'll find out soon what the big changes are gonna be. But one of them has already been announced and I don't know guys, maybe it's because we made it, but it looks very promising. This guy, I want to see an honest uh, ballot. The Presidential Debate Commission has heard your concerns about how the last presidential debate went. Fewer interruptions. I'm appealing to you, sir, to do that. Well, and him too. That's why we've made some small tweaks to the process. The next debates will feature stricter time limits, more moderator control, and the president will be required to wear a muzzle. thrown out of the military. And he didn't have a job until you became vice president. This sound dampening device has 15 pounds of reinforced concrete to reduce disruptive interruptions. We've also heard your concerns about our lack of fact checking, which is why this muzzle comes equipped with a sensor which will release helium gas if it detects any falsehood. This is going to be a fraud like you've never seen. And if all else fails, the muzzle will activate a voice filter that will make Donald Trump sound more presidential. In many cases, radical left. There is not a liberal America and a conservative America. There is the United States of America. The presidential debate muzzle. It's the next best thing to having a normal president. All right, we gotta take a quick break. But when we come back, Mariah Carey is on the show. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. Earlier today, I spoke with the best-selling female artist of all time, Mariah Carey. We talked about her incredible career, her new memoir, and so much more. Check it out. Mariah Carey, welcome to The Daily Social Distancing Show. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I'm glad to be here. I have to say, growing up as one of your fans, I did not think that anything could make me a bigger fan than I already was. But your memoir has... The best description I heard from a friend said it the best way. She said, it turns you from a fan into an instant lamb. Because... (laughs) Because we've all grown up with Mariah Carey. We've all... Like, Mariah Carey has sung the soundtrack to our lives. Whether it's falling in love, whether it's having our hearts broken, whether it's celebrating Christmas. You are synonymous with the lives that we've lived. But you take for granted that a lot of people don't know you. And you've written a book now after 30 years in the industry. The first question is, why now? Why would you bear something so vulnerable after all these years of being shielded? Well, first of all, I've been wanting to work on, I've been working on this book for three years, Um, you know, solidly for three years. And prior to that, I wanted to start working on it when I was pregnant, so like 10 years ago. And I figured, oh, I have the time now. But it really happened the way it was supposed to happen. And I um, collaborated with Michaela Angela Davis, who's one of my really close friends. And I feel like we get each other on, on a very specific level and, um, and many levels. But um, it just felt like the right time because, you know, uh, it, it is. It's just happening because it's happening and it was meant right. to happen. And I, it was a cathartic experience. And again, that's why I took so long. I would have liked to have more time, you know, when you're working on something, obviously, yeah. and you want to yeah. just 
perfected and you don't have the deadlines and there it is. But the audiobook's been my favorite part of the process because of the weaving in the lyrics and the melodies and stuff like that. So it's, um, it is a vulnerable place to be, but in a way it's freeing because they, they have a question, they can just refer to page 123 or whatever, like just, right. you know what I mean? For many people, when they read this book, they're gonna learn things about Mariah Carey that they never even would have fathomed. You know, because you popped into so many of our lives as this perfectly manicured human being where everything was, was in place and everything was perfect in a music video, but you've lived a tough life. You've overcome, you, 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 you've, you've defied the odds. And one of the things that I don't think a lot of people realize about you is you are a master at your craft, not just at singing, but 19 number one hits and 18 of those were written by yours truly. Yes, and thank you for acknowledging that. That's been a thing. Um, my, my true fans know that, and I think that's been, I know that's been our, uh, why our connection is so strong, and you know, that and other reasons, but because they're relating to the words that are very personal, not necessarily the big songs that everybody, that most people know, but like the deep cuts and this, the ones that are featured more prominently in the book where the lyrics are woven into the story, or you'll go, oh, that's what that meant when she wrote that. Right. Um, you know, so the fans know, but the casual listeners or people that are just like, yeah, I've heard her sing, you know, whatever. They don't know. I don't know that they'll ever know. <laughs> Maybe if they care to know and they're watching this, um, they'll, they'll uh, pay attention in a different way. But um, it's been my release. So writing this book and working on the audiobook and we weaving like some singing and some music in with the stories because that's the way it's written, you know? So it was really um, a great creative experience for me to be able to combine those things that I love so much. And obviously with these very personal stories. When you look at the stories that you've shared, there's no denying, Mariah, that they're so personal. Some of them are, are, are truly, truly, truly heartbreaking. And I, I felt almost guilty not knowing this about you and claiming to be a fan. You know, I, I, you read the stories and you go like, man, I, I didn't know Mariah was experiencing this. And, we, you know, you just know Mariah Carey through songs or on a meme or just doing a, a Christmas show. But when we go back to Mariah Carey growing up in her life, you meet a young girl who is in a world where she's told that she doesn't belong. Some people say that she is not black enough. Some people say that she is not white at all. And so she experiences racism specifically growing up as a child. And one, one of the most painful stories was where you share going to a kid's party where you thought you were going to the party, but all they did was lock you up in a room and start calling you the N-word. That, that trauma when you're sharing it, I, I would love to know how did you deal with that? And, and how did you almost, you know, like put that in the back of your mind and in your life while you were entertaining the rest of us in the world? Well, it is one of those things that I really didn't speak about to most people because in casual conversation or in, um, in an interview format where, you know, you got to get to a lot of subjects and you're talking about an album or whatever, most likely, I'm not going to dig into the, into my 12 year old past and be like, by the way, listen to what happened to me. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Like I, and I did push that, that particular incident down to the point where when we were working on the book, 
I didn't even remember that story until further down the road. Like, right, it wasn't right, like, right. let me tell you this first story. Like, you know, like, I really started a lot with my ancestors and kind of exploring different aspects of what they went through and the diversity there. That's kind of like shocking to most people. Cause when you see the physical book, the pictures in the book, um, people get it a little bit more. And I know you understand what I'm saying. It, yes, it really, yes. it, you know, it becomes a thing where it's like, oh, and I get it now, but you're like, well, what the hell did you think I was talking about this whole time? But, you know, again, not everybody pays attention. But yes, that was a very harrowing experience. Um, I don't know that I ever felt the need to talk to anybody about it because I don't feel like I'm the only person in the world that ever went through something traumatic, but that was very specific. And I think the reason why most people wouldn't expect it is because, I don't know, because of the racial ambiguity, because of whatever. But, you know, I didn't always have my hair done and makeup and clothes and nice things. You know, (laughs) I came from a place where I lived in predominantly white neighborhoods with people that had nice houses. And I'm not even going to say they were predominantly white. They were all white. And, (laughs) you know, there I was uh, to most of them. I hate to use this word, but a mongrel. So they, you know, really didn't have a very high opinion of me for that reason. Well, I think, uh, you know, and, and I, that's, what, that's what I think makes this book so amazing, to be honest, is it really shows us Mariah Carey as a human being. You know, I, I laughed in the book, and then there are moments where I'm crying. There are moments where I was shocked at how much comedy you have in your life. Like, you're a very funny person. Like, you, you use humor even in the book to deal with some really sad situations. I can relate to that. But I was just like, <laughs> have, have you been hiding Mariah Carey, the comedian, from us? Is there, is there a big part of your life that is, that is um, either dedicated or soothed by laughter? Because it felt like that in the book. Absolutely. Yes. Um, I definitely go to the place of humor as opposed to like, oh, I'm so sad. I'm crying and depressed. Like, you know, that's why labels on people and, you know, oh, you're this and you're that or whatever. Like, I don't, it's hard. You know that it's difficult. I don't have to tell you. Um, But I just mean that, how do I express it? Yeah, I I would rather laugh than cry. And and so I appreciate, and we were talking about Son of Patricia um, and just you as as an incredible um, comedian. And, you know, it's such a brilliant person, but also... I appreciate stand up and I appreciate like watching you and and the the complexities that that you know I know we're supposed to be talking about my book but I have to say that <laughs> that I have to say that or I would be remiss. Don't go away cuz after the break we'll have more with Mariah Carey. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing show. Here's more of my interview with the legendary Mariah Carey. It feels like we're getting a lot of Mariah right now which is great. We're getting the book. We're getting the audio book. And then we're getting something that I think everybody on the planet will be excited by, and that's rarities. And that is a a collection of, you know, whether it's unreleased songs, B-sides, and just, it feels like an extension of the book because it feels like a, a, a raw piece of Mariah Carey, you know, music that we've never heard, expression that we've never seen. You've got an exclusive, um, uh, you know, you're gonna be teaming up with Lauren Hill you know, in, in one of the projects. And that that in of itself is just legend plus legend in a time that was where music f- for many people was golden. 
tell me a little bit about Rarities and why you felt that this was the time to put that out and what you're trying to do. Well, it just so happened that I had, uh, first of all, the synergy with all of this has been, you know, I believe everything happens for a reason. But in the book, I talk about um, winning my first award when I was 12, a little award in a talent show that my mother had enrolled me in against all adults. And I sang the song Out Here on My Own by Irene Cara. And um, for a kid, when I listen to it now, I'm like, oh my gosh, I really, really felt this song. Like, it really did feel like I was out here, there on my own. But we found the recording um, that I had done. I didn't, I was gonna put it on an album, didn't do it. Anyway, I found it in my vault. And so, right, so. that's, yeah, that's on the rarities. And then I happened to have, um, a song called Lullaby of Birdland. I was telling a story about this song that I used to sing as a little kid. And then we found this recording and that's also on the rarities. So there's so many, like you said, B-sides, unreleased songs, but the fact that these things happen at the same time, is just another thing that blows my mind about life. <laughs> you, you, you've lived a thousand lives, Mariah Carey. Um, I, think, I think a lot of human beings will enjoy this book because it is a human story. I think a lot of mothers and daughters will love this book because it talks about those connections and how important they need to be, you know, how important they are, how much they need to be cherished. I think any child, any parent, I think any lover of music, you know, any black person, any person who struggled with identity, regardless of their race, will love this book. And before, before I, I, I let you go, uh, I mean, I could talk to you forever on all of these things, but I guess that's why you have the book. Before, before I let you go, I would love to talk to you about the song that has become the definition of Christmas. <laughs> it's pretty insane to have a song that is almost as famous as the holiday itself. I really wondered this question as, as, a, as, a, as an entertainer. We all hear that song and we're like, it's Christmas time. Do you hear that song and go, oh no, people are gonna want me to sing it? Or do you still have as much joy from that song as we have? You know, it's interesting because I know it gets played a lot and there's all different things, but it's the first Christmas song I ever wrote. Um, I talk about in the book how certain people in my family ruined Christmas every year and I always looked forward to it and I always just wanted to have the most festive, fun holiday and it just represented so much for me and they always screwed it up. And as an adult, I was able to kind of recreate what that represented. And so to have a song that I that I do get to hear every year, I have, I have three Christmas albums. Right, right. It's, <laughs> it's I'm festive. Like I push through sadness with being festive. And so like anybody who ever tries to ruin Christmas for me will not be a happy person hanging out with me on Christmas. So the answer is I, you know, I'm very thankful that I was able to write the song and I, and I do still love it. I do still love it because it makes me feel uh, like the holidays are here and that's my favorite time of year. So call me festive. <laughs> festive Mariah Carey. Um, thank you so much for joining me on the show. I hope you'll join me again. I hope everybody reads the book to get whatever they need from it, whether it's the joy of hearing you break down your music as a master craftsman, uh, whether it's sharing your experiences. I feel like the book is a love letter to black women from all walks of life in every industry, whether it's private or whether it's in the music industry. I, I feel like it's a touching tale. And honestly, it's one of the most vulnerable, beautiful stories I've read. So thank you so much for sharing it with us. Thank you for joining me on the show. Thank you so much, Trevor. I adore you. And I really would love to come back and talk to you. I 
anytime, anytime, any any COVID, uh, what do we call this one? <laughs> when we're not socially distanced. Yes, I yes, agree, definitely. Yes. <laughs> thank you, thank you so much, and you're incredible. Thank you very much. Well, that's our show for tonight. But before we go, please remember that the West Coast is battling horrific wildfires right now that are destroying millions of acres of land and displacing thousands of people. Climate change has been a key factor in increasing the risk and the extent of these conditions. And one organization that has been working to find practical solutions for this is the Environmental Defense Fund. Until next time, stay safe out there, wear a mask. And if you're one of my Neanderthal viewers, The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, ears edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. 